Bye, guys. So today is the third, so we're going to make a quick drive through Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is, wisdom is now talking. This is the first person. If somebody named wisdom was talking to us. Okay, so here we go. Verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Wow, there's a promise from the Lord. Get wisdom, you live longer. Pretty good deal, right? Pretty good deal. So if you have your Bible today, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to pick back up. We were, were, two weeks ago, we started a series uh, and a study of the prophet Elijah, and uh, a real man of God. And while you're turning there, I just want to say to you that God wants to have all, all of your hearts and your worship and your focus and your adoration. God wants to have all of that. He wants to be number one in our hearts. And in fact, the very first of the Ten Commandments is that you shall have no other gods before me. In the New Testament, somebody asked Jesus, Jesus, what's the most important of all the commandments? And um, he said, you can find this in Mark 12, he says, above all else, above all else, you, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and your mind and your strength with all of it, just all of it. God wants all of our hearts, not just part of our hearts. And, uh, you know, I, I, I tend to think sometimes strategically, if you were an enemy of God, what would you do if you wanted to hurt God? What would you do? I mean, the thing is, I think, is you'd try to get people to turn their hearts away from God and worship false gods. And, um, you know, to get them to serve false gods. And that's something that Satan has been trying to do on this earth for the whole time. It's just, you know, putting false gods in the place where the one true God believes or belongs. It's called the sin of idolatry. So as we go through today, I'm going to just give you a key thought, and this will be in the background of all that we talk about today. And here's a key thought for the day. False gods promise what only the true God provides. False gods promise what only the true God can, will provide. And I'll give you, for example, money. Money is a very, very popular false god in our society. And what does money do? Money promises to do something for you, but that truly only God can provide. You know, you know, for example, money says, if you have enough of me, you'll be happy and you'll be secure. It's, common, it's a common perspective. If you have enough, you're going to be happy and you'll be secure. And the reality is, though, that um, once you get enough, but somebody says to you in an office, you know, I'm sorry, but this... This is cancer, and you've got 30 days. All of a sudden, all of security that you thought money, it's gone. That money just will not provide you. It's a false promise. It's just a, it's, it just won't make you secure. Or if, or if you get to the point where you have all the money you think you need, and the most horrible tragedy you can think of, you know, your child is gone. That money can't fix that for you. No matter how much money you have, it cannot fix it's a, false, it's a false promise. It's a false God. And a false God is something that promises you something that only the one true God can actually provide. And we were talking last time about the lifetime of Elijah. Um, the, the, during that time, uh, the people were living in a very idolatrous culture. They, they were spent their lives worshiping and serving false gods. And Elijah was called by the one true God to go and confront um, this very evil king named Ahab. And uh, he was married to a very ic- a wicked queen named Jezebel. And at that point, the northern tribes, or the northern, northern uh, tribes were, were governed by a series of kings. And there were 19 evil kings in a row, 19 in a row. 
Not 19 incompetent, but 19 evil kings. And uh, I think Ahab fell somewhere in the middle, like seven or eight, something like that. But what God said about Ahab was he was the most evil. That no king before him had been, he was the most evil. Than, he was the worst of the worst. That's who the Lord says to uh, Elijah. And um, he, he, the reason, wh- why was he so, what made him so evil was that he was continuously trying to turn the hearts of the people away from the one true God and get them to serve false gods, the Baals and the Asherahs. Now, the, the gods of that time, small g gods, um, Baal in particular, we, we talked about last week, he was known by other names. He was known as the god of fire, the god of fertility, and the sun god. And uh, Asherah was kind of considered a consort, kind of like his wife. And um, the people were no longer worshiping the god of Jacob and Isaac. And, and instead, they were worshiping these false gods. And, uh, you know, Baal would tell them, the, the words of Baal were that, I'll make your crops grow. If you serve me, you'll be happy with your life. False gods promising just what only the true God can provide. So God raises up Elijah, and he goes to Ahab. This is a review from last time, and he says, Hey, God sent me to tell you that until he tells me to pray otherwise, there's not going to be any rain, and this place is going to dry up. And that was an assault, because another name of Baal was the god of rain and dew. And so there was this assault going on. God was not just attacking the behavior, but he was attacking the underlying false god. And um, so then God sends Elijah into this season of hiding and the season of preparation. And uh, the reason for that is because, you know, King Ahab wanted to kill him. Didn't like what he heard, saw him as the problem, so he's hiding, he's, God sent him there. But it's also a time that God planned to do some building in Elijah. And he sent him to a place called the Kareth Ravine. We talked about that the name Kareth means cutting and humbling. And he was, um, you know, he was there and it was, he was alone and he had to totally depend on God. And because there was no rain, there was no food anywhere, God sent to Elijah every morning and every evening. He sent ravens to feed him. They brought food to him. And, he, and, and the Lord sent a brook. So he had nice, cool, air-conditioned little oasis taking care of him when all around it was arid and dying, dying and drying up. And God used that time and that place to humble him and develop him and to build him into an even stronger man than he was, a real man of God. And, uh, and then one day... The, the Lord decided, okay, time to move on, dries up the brook, and he says, okay, you're out of here. And the source that had been providing Elijah was gone. We talked about how, you know, sometimes we're in a situation and the Lord's providing for us, and that, that well dries up, and we're thinking, God, what's the deal? And the Lord wanted to move Elijah to this other place, so he sends him off to this, across the countryside and, and, and to encounter this woman, this widow who... Uh, the Lord said would provide for him, and she didn't have hardly anything. She had enough flour and oil to make one last dinner for herself and her son, and then they were going to die. They were going to starve to death. And God says, go see her. She's going to feed you. Elijah, and, and she does decide to feed Elijah, and the Lord miraculously kept the, the, the jar of oil. It never ran out. The flour never ran out. It was miraculous. One day, this widow's son dies. And Elijah does this amazing thing. And this is the very first time you ever see this anywhere in Scripture. Elijah picks up this boy who's lifeless, carries him upstairs, and he lays and he prays, Lord, put his soul back in him. And the Lord raises the little boy, raises this boy back to life. I don't know if he's a young boy. I don't think he was. 
First time anywhere in scripture where, where you see a miracle of someone raised to life. And the translation basically is that this man had been, been shaped by God through this time in the Kareth Ravine, through, through this time of humbling and cutting, into becoming a man of true faith, enough that he could believe that God would raise somebody from the dead. And God honored that prayer. And uh, so we, we see that the Lord moving him into be, to shaping him to becoming the man that he wants him to become. So now we're going to pick up with today where we're going to go into this, and we're in 1 Kings 18. And so we're about three years now into this drought. And God, one more time, wants Elijah to go confront the evil king. So here we go again. And um, so verse, starting in verse 17. When he saw Elijah, speaking of King Ahab, when, Ke- when, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? <laughs> now the word troubler there, you can actually literally translate it. It means snake or viper or asp. Um, he says, hey, you no good snake. Are you here to cause more trouble? You snake, you viper, you low down, dirty dog, snake. And, uh, you know, Elijah hears this, but he's not going to take any of this off from him. So he says, verse uh, 18, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command, commands and have followed the Baals. You're committing the sin of idolatry, he's saying to him. You're putting false gods ahead of the one true God. Now, Elijah was confronting a very popular idea of that time, which was that there are many gods. A very popular idea in his culture. Kind of like that's a popular idea in our culture. So um, here's two big words for those of you who like to take notes. Monotheism and polytheism. Monotheism is a belief that there is one God. Remember getting a mono record? Those of you who know what a record is, okay? And then the Beatles came out with, you know, meet the Beatles. In stereo, okay? Poly. Okay, you're not following me. Most of you don't know what a record is. Monotheism is a belief that there is one God. Polytheism is this belief that there are multiple gods, okay? And Elijah was, was, was confronting this very polytheistic culture, and the, the people there would serve all these multiple gods. And those of us who are Christians, we would say that we're monotheistic because we believe in one true God. But even though we believe in one true God, many of us live polytheistic lives. We believe in God, but in reality, sometimes we serve and worship many false gods. I'll talk about that. You know, the people that I know aren't actually worshiping Baal and Ashtra. Um, I mean, the false gods that people serve around us today are actually quite a bit more socially acceptable, right? I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, a lot of people worship the false god of money and uh, or material possessions. It could be it could be a car, it could be a house, it could be the way you look. It could be your favorite sport. It could be your career. It could be your hobby. In an odd sort of way, it could even be your children. You know, you want to say, well, wait, wait, wait a second. How in the world could our children be a false god? I mean, when you elevate anything into the rightful place of the one true God, when you, when you put anything on the throne of your heart, which is the place that the Lord wants to be, that's idolatry even something as good and something as important as your children, you can put them where they don't belong. And um, so that's why I would ask this question today. It's why I would ask all of you to try to identify in your hearts and in your soul, what are the false gods that, that there's a possibility, just a possibility that maybe you're serving, that you would put ahead of the one true God? I mean, I, I, 
I could maybe help you out by sharing a few of them, you know, from my life, my past. I'm not proud of these things. Um, you know, and we all go through seasons, and I'm a growing, you know, son, just like you or growing daughters. Um, but here's a couple for me. You know, I, at one point, I made um, the church, the ministry, the thing that I do, the most important thing in my life. I mean, I did. It was, it was, it was, it was obvious. I mean, it's obvious to you and to me that the church and ministry and doing what I do is my calling. It's what I do. But, but I'm not talking about that. That was way, way, way out of bounds. There were, there were times and there was a season in our ministry when my ministry work week, if you will, was 70 or 80 hours. It wasn't unusual for me to, to you know, call Lisa at 2 in the morning and say, hey, honey, I'll be home pretty soon. No joke. I mean, way, way, way out of control. And in my mind, I would just say, I'm doing all this stuff and it's in the name of Jesus and it's for the ministry. It's therefore right because it's the most important thing. I even made the ministry more important than my walk with the Lord. More important than the times, more important than my friendship with Jesus. I was doing all these things. Couldn't say no. It was crazy. I remember one day, um, and it was a cold winter day. It was kind of like this, clear, but it was windy, but it it was a beautiful day. And I was just at a breaking point in my soul. I was standing outside. I even remember where I'm standing. And the wind is blowing in my face and it's icy cold, but I didn't feel cold. And I remember being confronted in this loving warmth of the Lord that embraced me and said, Terry, you either get this together or you can't do this anymore. It was the most loving correction (laughs) that the Lord gave me. It was a beautiful day. I cried. I cried for two reasons. First off, I was, I was brokenhearted that I was breaking the Lord's heart. And I was brokenhearted because I loved doing what I was doing, but I knew I was out of order. I knew I, would, I, was, I had messed that up. I, another one, cars. Cars for me have been a false idol. I mean, I, n- n- I'm a car guy. Have been, always will be, okay? I got, I got infected by cars by going to car races in my teen years. I still love them. And I don't know what the count is. I never can keep this straight. But if, if you ask Lisa, when, in the first five years of our marriage, we went through 11 cars. Not because, um, not because we kept breaking them, but because I needed a Camaro, then I needed a Corvette. I mean, come on. We bought a red Corvette. I've told you before, a red Corvette convertible. See the USA in your Chevrolet. If you just have one of these, put the top down and the wind will blow in your hair and you'll have a beautiful woman by your side. And I had all that. I had all that. It was great. The problem was that most of the time she drove the car and I didn't drive it. (laughs) Not her fault. And I went, we went through, I mean, that was just five years. We went through these series of cars. I had every cool car. Had to have every cool car. And there was a point where the Lord said, that car is in my parking spot, <laughs> if you get my meaning. And so I knew the Lord was saying to me, stop it. And so I laid it down. And probably for, I'd say, 20 years. I never thought about it. I thought, okay, I'm done with cars car now is a way to get from A to B. I need a pickup truck to haul my compost is the nice way of saying it. Or um, I need a car to get my family or a van because there's so many of us and we've got to pack the stuff and the dog and the, you know, the 3.2 kids or whatever it is. And, so, and then and until a time came where I really knew the Lord visited me and said, you can have a cool car if you want. 
Why, Lord? Why now after all these decades when you told me before? No, because you don't care anymore. You don't have to have it. It's not an idol anymore. So I've had a few fun cars in the last 10 or 15. By the way, there's nothing wrong with cars or motorcycles or whatever. God wants you to be blessed. He wants the right place in your heart. Someday you might see me again in a fun car. That's fine. Whatever. Um, I promise you, I won't get that. I will not put that in the Lord's place again in my life. It's just, it's just cars. My family at times has been an idol to me. I mean, I know we're supposed to love our wife and our kids, and I do that. But, but they, they have been at times the number one, and they're supposed to be right behind there, right behind God. Another, another one was the promise of future security. I mean, I, I could go on. I'm going to stop right there. And I just ask you to be honest. What are the maybe the false gods that somehow you have allowed to kind of perch themselves? Um, you know, and, uh, and think that through. Because if they're there, it's the sin of idolatry. It's the sin of idolatry. So Elijah the prophet stepped into, steps into this polytheistic culture and he makes what's a very prophetic statement to these people. And he looks at them and he sees them wiggling back and forth, right? And he says to them, it's time to quit wavering. It's time. Quit wavering. Quit going back and forth. It's time to quit wavering. So what he does is the coolest thing. He asked for a showdown. Now, I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. This is a man's story. Guys, this thing has got everything. Um, You're going to find out here that God loves fire for good reasons. It's great to play with fire. I mean, I guess I should say, any children here, it's not, don't play with matches. I'm thinking of you. (laughs) Um, And and me. Um, Anyway, but there's other things in here too. You're going to see God's got a really good sense of humor. I'll show that to you in a couple minutes. Anyway, so 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 19, he asked for a showdown. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount, Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who, who eat at Jezebel's table. So there's 950 bad guys and one Elijah, right? Okay. So verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people said nothing. So he says, how long? How long will you waver? If Baal is God, follow him but if God is God, follow him. I can guarantee you that if Elijah was standing here in the United States of America today, you know, he'd, he'd say the same thing to the nation. He'd say it to us, quit wavering, quit wavering. He would, he would challenge, even in the church, a lot of unspoken prayers of polytheism. Here's what I mean, you know. Yeah, God, keep me out of hell and make sure I make it to heaven, but I still want to do what I want to do. Or... Or, um, you know, God, hear my prayer and bless me, but I'm not going to be obeying what you're telling me. Or, you know, you know I want to do all the good things, but I don't want to stop these other things. And, and Elijah would say, hey, come on, quit wavering. Don't be a Christian on Sunday and be a heathen on Monday. Don't, don't, don't 
claim Christ but live like he's not alive. And I'm trying to contextualize, you know, Elijah's message for today. If, if, if your false God, little g, really is God, then serve him. Sell out to him. If he really is God, then sell out to him. In other words, you know, he's saying, you know, this is pretty much up in our grill. He says, if material possessions really are God, if they're really the most important thing, then quit just sort of accumulating things and go for it. Get into massive debt to get the things that you need to accumulate. Steal them if you have to, because after all, if the most important thing is accumulating, stealing's okay. Go for it. Just if accumulating is the most thing, you know, don't just, and, and by the way, don't ever give again. Don't be generous to people because that would diminish your ability to accumulate. He'd say, if material possessions is your God, then go for it. Or he'd say, you know, maybe he'd say, if your image is the most important thing, don't, then don't just kind of do it. Go for it, you know. Get in the gym three hours a day. Tan it, tweak it, lift it, tuck it, t- twist it, curl it, color it. Nothing wrong with those things unless that's because it's the most important thing. And in fact, if it's the most important thing, just ignore the fact that someday you're going to die because that really disqualifies that God, by the way. Just go buy whatever clothes you need and put them on the card because it's the most important thing. If, if sexual pleasure is your God, if it's the most important thing, then go for it. Don't let a little thing like marriage hold you back. If you're not married, then hey, go good for you. If you are married, well, that's okay. Just step out on the side because it's the most important thing. If that's your God, then go for it. If it's your house is your God, if it's, you know, quit doing one little thing at a time and buy the best, hire the best designer you can and just charge it and do it all at once and go for it. I mean, I mean, I can almost feel the eyes of, you know, Elijah saying, uh, you know, on me and saying, hey, Terry, quit wavering. Quit wavering. So, man, what does he do? He's got a showdown coming here. So he says to them, you know, let's get some bulls and uh, we're going to sacrifice some bulls and I'll call on my God and you call on your God and we'll just see what happens. So verse 24. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, yeah, (laughs) he's God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. They agreed. They said, okay, it's a deal. We'll go with you on the test. And, and of course, they're thinking, Elijah, you have no idea who you're dealing with. Baal is the sun god. He's the god of fire. You call him on fire. Baal is the man. You're toast. That's what they're thinking. They're thinking, okay, silly guy. Drop down to verse 26. So they took the bull. They, as the, the other prophets, took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Obey, I'll answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they'd made. Now this dance was this, you know, frenetic spinning and jumping and shouting and woo! I mean, we don't do that today. Mostly, we don't. <laughs> if your name gets called on the price is right, come on, Lisa, come on down, woo Right? Okay. Or maybe you're one of those guys who loves college football so much that you show up on November 15th in 12 degrees, no shirt, and you're painted half blue and half white. Okay. Woohoo! You don't do that? 
Okay, so, okay, so th- that's what they're doing. They're just having a blast, and nothing happens. <laughs> now, this is the part that I just really luck- like because I've got a sense of humor that gets me into trouble. My sense of humor gets me into trouble. You probably know that about me. I'm a, I, I know that I'm really too immature to do what I'm doing. And I'm not tell, I can't tell you how many times in the past I've gotten in trouble as an employee working for somewhere or someplace where somebody said, what's funny? And I realized, you know, I'm chuckling because I can find something about funny about everything, and that's really inappropriate sometimes, okay? But you're going to find out in the next few minutes, God's got a sense of humor, okay? Remembering, remember, who wrote this? This is written by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gets to record what he thinks is important, right? Okay, so Elijah, here's what's cool. Elijah starts fritzing with these guys. Is that, is that a real word, fritzing? I don't know. He starts messing with them. It's, it's kind, of, kind of smack talk, but I like what's going on here. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and, 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 and according to the word, he's a man of God, and he's fritzing with them, which I love. It gives me license, okay? Not... <laughs> Not, not that I'm a man of God, but at least I can work that way, right? So, okay, so verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. I know he's God. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's taking a little nap. <laughs> but here's what's funnier, okay? If you dig down, you find something pretty funny in here. The word busy, you can look this up, okay? What he's really saying here is, maybe he's really going to the bathroom. <laughs> okay? I think that's funny. Come on. But can you picture Elijah? He's going, he, he's trying to keep a straight face. He's c- confronting all these guys. He says, you know, maybe he's thinking. <laughs> maybe he's on vacation. <laughs> Maybe he's in the outhouse. <laughs> I mean, that's what's going on. He is making fun of them. Your God, is he on the throne? <laughs> and if you see now, God has a sense of humor. That's proof. I mean, it's, that's what the word says. And if you read on, they start shouting louder. They get crazier. They start cutting themselves. Scripture says that goes on all day long. And that's a snapshot. Kind of, because a lot of people, what we do with false gods is we worship them all lifelong. Our whole lifetime, dancing, praising, pursuing, serving, and worshiping false gods that promise but never, ever deliver all life long. Finally, after all the dances and the cutting, nothing happens, so we get to verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prays. He didn't dance, by the way. Notice this, he didn't dance and he didn't gyrate. He just talked to a faithful God. He prayed. Wow, there's power in that. Your relationship with God is everything. And your words, your sincere, heartfelt words to God mean everything to him. Don't ever underestimate prayer. Don't ever consider prayer to be a religious function or duty. It's relationship. It's faith that combines with relationship. When your children ask something of you and you see their sincerity, <laughs> it changes what you do. Mm-hmm. And it's no different with your Heavenly Father. Oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and, that all, and, that, and have done all these things at your command. 
Verse 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Can you see the beauty and the power in those words? Answer me, Lord, reveal yourself, show yourself, reveal yourself to me, show yourself by fire, God. Why? Why? It's so beautiful, because God would turn their hearts back to him again. Because they used to know you, Lord. They used to walk with you. They used to serve you. They used to worship you. But their false gods have taken your place, God. Turn their hearts back again. And this passion that you see coming out in these moments could be for some of us. Because we've walked with the Lord and then for some reason we walked away. And then we put some false god or it could be some combination of false gods in the throne of our lives. Today I really believe that God is here to reveal himself to you And why is he doing that? Because he wants to turn our hearts back to him again today. And there are some people, I believe, hearing these words this moment, that the reason that the Lord brought you here today is so you can turn your heart back to him. I know that that's going on here. This has been a point of prayer for me all week long, and I knew the Lord would say at this moment that he wants people to know he's called you here today because he wants to turn hearts back to him. I mean, this, this whole story for me is just one of the coolest ones. Um, you know, I get to see this fritzing going on, and I get to see the proper use of fire. This really good, it's not what the world says about God and fire. It's something completely different. I mean, a couple of things about fire. I got, I'm a guy, right? All guys love fire. Isn't that pretty much a genuine universal truth? Yeah. More than we ought to. Fire is cool. So two, I'll tell you two things I know about fire. One, is it's hot, and the second thing is I love to play with it. I'm not promoting playing with fire. I'm just telling you I like to do stuff with fire. And, um, you know, when I was a Boy Scout for a short period of time, in, in the Spokane area, when you're out in the woods, it's easy to build a fire because there's these ponderosa pine needles everywhere. It's a layer about this thick. They're completely dry. They're almost like gasoline. You touch a match to them, and boy, you can build a fire. And I got in trouble with the Boy Scouts because I was building too many fires. And... Um, Another thing is the desserts. I've got a thing about desserts. You can tell by looking. But I mean, I've got this thing about desserts. I like to make desserts. And it started, I can tell you when that started for me. I was taking my wife on a really special date. It was a long time ago. And we went to Portland and it was in this restaurant. I think it was called Trader Vic's. I can't remember. And so we're having this nice meal. And we get to dessert time. And the waiter comes up and says, can I get you dessert? And we said, well, what do you have? he starts describing all the typical desserts, and he mentions one called Bananas Foster. And I didn't know what that was. I said, well, what's that? Well, it's, it's where they bring this stuff to your table, and they've got a pan, and they cook these bananas and light them on fire and put it on top. I didn't hear anything else after that. <laughs> Everything went red. I heard this whining in my ears. I said, that, I'll take that. And they came, and the guy cooked those things at the table. And, and the, the fire was the coolest thing. I thought, I have got to learn how to do this. So I made the chef who was there at our table, tell me how you did this. Well, you take this, 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 this. I said, but what burns? He says, oh, that's rum. And rum is flammable. you got to be careful. Okay, fine. So I said, we get home. I said, honey, i got to learn how to make that. So, okay, I'm gathering all my ingredients, your bananas and your brown sugar and your butter, and, and I don't have any rum. So I go to the liquor store, and I'm, not real experienced in liquor store. And um, 
the lady could see it in my eyes, and she's, you know, back when we had liquor stores. And she said, um, um, can I help you? I said, yeah, I need some of that rum that burns, that catches on fire. <laughs> she says to me, oh, it's over there, and it says 151 on it. I thought, okay. I mean, I don't know what that is. It's like nit- nitromethane or something. So I get a bottle of it, and I take it. She says, now, have you ever cooked? I said, no, I never used it before. She says, okay, you put the rum into a cup and pour it from the cup. You don't pour it from the bottle. Okay, thanks. If a little bit's good, more is better, right? Okay, so I'm cooking Bananas Foster, um, which is pretty cool. I'm, I'm trying it for the first time in our house, and I don't know how much to use. Never got that information, so I got like a cup of this stuff. And um, you're cooking on the, pla- the pan, and if you've ever done this before, you know everything's hot, and it's simmering and bubbling, and you don't really have to do much to get it to light off, especially if you're using um, a gas oven or gas stove. Um, but anyway, so I've got way too much rum. Did I really say that in a sermon? Way too much rum? So I've got too much of this rum ingredient for my dessert, and I go to pour it into the pan, and it immediately ignites. And what you see, saw, if you had been standing there, <laughs> was this column of fire that went up, hit the ceiling, and curled every direction for about five feet. It went, woof, it was like a mushroom cloud of fire in my kitchen. <laughs> Instantly, the odor in the room changed because it smelled like burning hair. I turned and looked at Lisa. Eyebrows are gone. Hair on my arms, gone. <laughs> That's why I love this story. I've been there before. So he prays. Whoever is God, whichever one of you gods is really God, reveal yourself by fire. And verse 38, watch what happens. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Now here's all these people around. Imagine how hot that fire had to be to consume the stones and the dirt. But the people standing around it were unharmed. What a picture of the Lord's love. Okay, I'll demonstrate my power. My power is not here to hurt people. But my power is to turn their hearts back to me. It's always why my power is manifest. Boom, what a scene. Their arms weren't even singed. Their eyebrows were still there. (laughs) When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And that would be my prayer for this church. It really is. That we would see God for who He really is. That we would let every false God truly fall away. That our hearts would say, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. I mean, I look at this story, and I have looked at it before and sometimes, and I think, you know, yeah, it's easy to put your faith in God when you actually physically see him demonstrate like this. When you see somebody call down fire. I mean, we don't see God dropping fire down from heaven like this much anymore. I mean, I can't command fire from heaven, and most of you probably can't either. Um, and I, I sometimes I wonder, well, God, why don't you show yourself like that, you know, how come you don't show yourself like that today? 
But I realize also that in, in, in a so much more beautiful and intimate way that God has shown himself to us. And the primary best way will never, ever be superseded. And that was the way he showed himself a couple thousand years ago. When he became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfect and a sinless life so that he could die to pay the price for our inability to live up to holiness, the standards of holiness. And then he raised his son again so that we could know him. And when you do know Jesus Christ, the false gods start taking second and third and fourth and 56 and 700 seat. They start moving backwards down the line. If Elijah was living today here, he'd say, Terry, come on, quit wavering. And I think he'd say, if you knew God for who he was, you wouldn't have this issue with false gods because the one true God is so much greater. Let's pray. Lord, today I...